What's up? Welcome to Project Freelance. My name is Kay Anagonio, and this week on the podcast, I am joined by Greg Johnson. He is a music composer, producer, and sound designer. This guy has worked on a ton of TV shows, feature films, and video games, and a couple commercials, and I wanted to have him on this week to talk about what his process is for composing a piece of music for a movie, for a TV show, for a video game. He works on a lot of sci-fi stuff, and a majority of his work is actually based outside of the United States, with a lot of it based out of Qatar, and uh, right now he's working on a project based out of South Korea. Super cool to talk to this guy on this podcast. We have a bunch of mutual friends, so thank you to Patrick Koch for getting me in touch with Greg, and... I want to make this a very unique episode of Project Freelance for you guys. So Greg and I have actually uh, teamed up a little bit. He has supplied me with some of his favorite compositions to underlay as a score to this Project Freelance episode. So you're going to enjoy amazing sounds in this episode that are not typical for it. So I don't usually put music in my episodes because I like them to be, you know, raw, organic, whatever. But this episode in particular, because I'm talking with a sound designer, I wanted to have him supply some some tunes for you guys. So I hope you enjoy this very special episode of Project Freelance with Greg Johnson. If you guys are up and coming composers, you're going to absolutely love this episode. There's a ton of tips in here, some tricks, some information that I think is going to be very necessary for you guys if you want to start building your career as a composer, a sound designer, or a music producer. So Gregory, thank you for joining me on this episode of Project Freelance. Please introduce yourself, what you do, and how you got started. My name is Greg Johnson, and I'm a composer and uh, also a producer, programmer, sound designer. Um, I work a lot with uh, foreign TV shows and hard rock bands. So how'd you get into composing and sound design? So I, uh, I have a degree in music theory and composition, and um, <clears throat> I was always interested in composing uh, for film. I saw, you know, old Tim Burton, Danny Elfman movies, you know, uh, Thomas Newman, and I always just liked that. So I thought <clears throat> if I went to school for that, that would probably be a good choice. And then I was always playing rock bands on the side because um, I just have like a love for that, you know. Um, and then when I was in college, I did my first um, I did. I just got on game forums, actually. Uh, I played a lot of video games, of course. And uh, I met indie developers, and I got my first uh, game that I scored. And it ended up being on the Wii, and it was called Alien Monster Bowling League. And it's really terrible. <laughs> the music's not good. I, I think I was 22 at the time. Uh, but that sort of was where the it started, you know? Like, it was my first, like, paid gig. Um, and it kind of just slowly built from there. like to go from just you know were you doing it as a hobby beforehand and then you got this paid gig with this game is that how it worked yeah it was kind of a mixture I was, I was doing it and I was in school writing and um I, I even did like a an indie film for like my roommate in college and it was I was getting towards the end of college and it was just more desperation like how do I make this a career 
Uh, and you know, it took a very, very long time to figure that out. But um, I honestly, I just hit up everybody. And I was like, hey, I'll score whatever game you're working on. I'll just do it for free. Um, and then it just so happened that, you know, the, the, the game that I got had a little bit of money for me. Um, and that kind of just happened very um, coincidentally, I guess. So what was it like scoring for that game? What did you go into it with? Like, did you have uh, the game in front of you? Did you get a chance to play it before you scored it? Or how did that work? So the original build was on uh, PC. Um, and they were using, I don't, actually, I don't even remember which engine they were using. But I got a lot of artwork to start before they even had gameplay. And the whole idea of this game was it was aliens and monsters bowling in space in different planets. <laughs> so I had like the level list, you know, so there was like one level that was like the Playboy Mansion. Right. So I did like an 80s rock tune. And then there was another that was like this weird sci fi alien planet. And I think it was called Warp Planet was its name. So I did weird theremins and uh, kind of just like jumping all around a lot of different genres I hit. Um, just because the levels were so unique, you know, and I had the artwork to kind of go along with it. I was definitely like copying, copying a lot of better composers on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Who were some of the composers that you are inspired by? Uh, yeah. So Danny Elfman was the first one I think I, I gravitated towards. And I, I guess that's a little bit cliche being like a kid growing up in the nineties. Um, and then I, I heard Thomas Newman and there was a, a soundtrack called Meet Joe Black, which is not a great movie, but the soundtrack is fantastic. And um, that one really caught my ear. And then it's sort of deep diving from there. And Danny Elfman would talk about Bernard Herrmann, you know, and I would go down that rabbit hole. And obviously, John Williams, you can't compose films without, uh, you know, learning everything you can about him. Um, but more recently... I would say I, try, I gravitate towards like Trent Reznor, um, Hans Zimmer. I try not to copy him too much, you know, because <laughs> I don't want to be a ripoff of anybody. But what, I like what they, those guys are doing to the film uh, music industry and how it's pushing it. And I sort of naturally gravitate towards that direction. Yeah, I'm very into that cinematic style, you know, that ha that Hans Zimmer style. Um, it, very, it definitely stands out and it's very unique. So when it comes to creating your compositions... How do you keep from, you know, uh, say, copying someone too much? Not saying that you're copying them, but you know what I mean? Taking too much influence from them. How do you uh, keep a balance with that? Yeah, so I guess the first thing I do is, you know, I see a new Hans Zimmer movie and it makes me feel like a terrible composer. And then I just try to, ne I try to never listen to it again just so I don't uh, have it, like, stuck in my head, to be honest. Um, but what I try to do is draw from things that aren't film scores. Um so a lot of the work that I do now is currently like abroad. So uh, I work a lot out of Qatar, Romania, uh, Korea. So I'm listening to a lot of music from those regions and just sort of trying to put my own interpretation of that. Not, not to say that I'm trying to make sort of Middle Eastern music, but I'm trying to take elements that I think are interesting and... Uh, use it in my own way, I guess. I am very impartial to, you know, Middle Eastern music. I grew up in Abu Dhabi, which is oh, a really? short flight away from Qatar, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I've been to Qatar a couple times. I actually looked on your Instagram before we got on here and saw that you uh, had some music that was played at their national day. Tell me about that. Tell me about getting your music uh, 
put out there and having the world see it and hear it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the journey of me getting uh, hooked up in guitar was, it's kind of a, a strange one. But yeah, going back to what you're saying about my Instagram, I did, uh, it's National Day in December-ish, usually, out there. It's and like December 2nd-ish. Yeah. yeah. And everybody just goes crazy out there, and they make cool commercials celebrating uh, Qatari culture, and they're pumping out all this content. And a lot of times they just, uh, they need lots of music. And so it, invariably every December, I get hit for commercials, and uh, the Instagram post that you're talking about, it was actually a light show that was shown on some buildings in the um, in downtown Doha. And so they had a light show and they had these cool horses and it was all like synced up to music. And I had previously done a piece of music for a uh, short, like a short film music video sort of thing. Um, it was done in reverse where they shot the music video and then I wrote the music and I teamed up with a, a Qatari poet um, and some like a Udist and uh, all these percussion players. And I wrote a piece of music um, and they commissioned that to use in this uh, light show. So it was very strange to see this piece of music that I did, uh, you know, playing 9,000 miles away on like a building <laughs> in, in downtown Doha. It's very strange. Wow, that's so cool. So when it comes to actually composing a piece, how do you go into that mentally? What are the kind of things you're thinking about? And I know every piece is different, but just talk through your process of creating that and then reaching out to artists to play the music and, and so on and such. Which, Yeah, usually people have, um, have, when I talk to like producers, they have something that they're trying to achieve. Um, and usually they have like a reference or temp music. Um, and so my first thing is just to try to get into the spirit of the music piece that they chose. Because uh, I never want to copy the temp. Um, this is something like every composer sort of struggles with. Because um, sometimes directors get really attached to this temp music, and they'll have like a they'll have like a cue, and it'll be a John Williams cue, and then it'll be a Hans Zimmer cue, and then Danny Elfman cue, and like they want you to copy that. It's, well, <laughs> and it's hard because it's like you, they just took the three best composers ever, you know, <laughs> you know, and like uh, they ask you to like, sort of step up to that. But I usually just try to get the spirit of the music, uh, like what they're trying to achieve. And then, um, honestly, it's just a lot of sitting and grinding until I, I come up with a melody that I think speaks um, in a similar way. And then I kind of try to put my own um, uh, sort of influence in there to make it sound the way that I, I come across, the, the way that I speak in music terms. And I, a lot of times I have to do a lot of different genres, but... I try to always have at least some sort of thread that comes through that's uniquely me. And sometimes I fail and sometimes I get it right, I suppose. What do you think your uniqueness is that makes you stand out from other composers? Well, I think if you go back to um, just like yourself being really into like hard rock music, you know, that's what I grew up with. Uh, and being in the scene, uh, like in the, the 2000s, you know, um, there's a sort of an aesthetic to that um, that I grew up and I, I worked with a lot of bands and what I think I do good in my composing career is I, I take those elements that I grew up with um, and I try to introduce them into sort of a, an orchestral setting or whatever it is that I'm doing so if I have a big action cue say and I have you know strings and all these drums and stuff like that I I almost mix it like I would a rock band um, so very hyped, 
very like immediate uh, in your face kind of attitude even though it's maybe a more traditional like uh, type orchestration you know or instrument shape instrumentation yeah so you bring the those rock elements into your uh, into your more theatrical work <laughs> is what you're saying yeah exactly I, I think uh, Trent Reznor does this very well obviously uh, Danny Elfman obviously with Oingo Boingo um, even Hans Zimmer was playing in bands in London in the early 80s and 70s. And I think all those those guys take an element of like pop rock and they bring it to their their style rather than coming from a traditional classical uh, approach, which is, I, I almost never <laughs> come at uh, the music that I write from that um, viewpoint. Wow, that's so interesting to, just to hear how you like come at your music and like the the vantage point you have on it. Um, when it comes to getting artists to play on your pieces, where do you find them? Do you get them online? Do you get them on Instagram? And like, how do you reach out to artists? And uh, what are the types of music you're looking for when it comes to that? You know, um, I actually have a, a few like uh, players that I go to a lot. Like I have a cellist that lives down the street. He's actually from South Korea. He's really amazing cellist. Uh, and it sort of also comes at it from like a rock style. So I usually have him come over and he'll play like on all the, the shows that I'm working on. But I also use this website called Sound Better. And uh, have you have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Tell me everything about it because I want to know and I'm sure other people want to know. So Sound Better is just a, a website for musicians to meet uh, clients, essentially. So you can put up your profile. You can say, this is what I do. This is what I charge. Here's examples of my work. You know, say I'm a you know, piano player, and that's like my main thing. You can put up all that. This is the gear that I use. And then if someone needs to hire a, a pianist, th they can go through and they can scroll all your profiles, sort of like you know, looking through uh, Facebook or whatever, uh, and read your reviews. I guess it's more like Yelp, right? But for musicians. Um, and so if I need something, like I've found like, you know, one time I needed a Duke player, which is sort of like a Middle Eastern uh, wind instrument. And I didn't know where to find it. So I found this website and then I realized there was all these session players on here. So a lot of times I, I go on Sound Better and I, you know, if, it, if it's a harmonica or, you know, like a drummer from Argentina or a Duke player from Italy, like I grab all these uh, musicians from all these places and a lot, they do great work. And uh, you can, you know, set your price and talk about what the project is. And so I end up hiring a lot of people on this website. And then in turn, I put my profile up and I've actually gotten some pretty serious work from it as well um, in like sort of the film composing world world. I ended up, strangely enough, uh, getting onto a, a Netflix show in South Korea <laughs> through, uh, through a lot of steps from that website originally, though. Talk more about those steps, because this is super fascinating to me. I, and Netflix is so popular right now that I think that it's super important, you know, to talk about how you're getting into this like new mainstream media because Netflix is still so fresh and it's so new in the whole streaming concept. So how did you, if you can talk about it, how did you get that, that job? Yeah. So it was just, um, there was a company in, uh, Seoul and they were looking for more composers to add to the roster. 
uh, and they do a lot of shows in China, Japan, South Korea, sort of K-dramas and the like. And um, I guess they were just so busy, they needed a couple, a few more people to round out their crew. And so um, if you looked on the website, you can see uh, you type in film composer. And I think I'm actually the first pro profile that comes up. Um, and so they just sent me a message <laughs> and um, they flew out and we met and we had lunch together and it, it worked out really well. And I ended up doing a show for them in, in China first. Uh, the Alibaba was the um, the production on the producer on um, that's like AliExpress, like the Chinese Amazon. And then and then after that, they were doing the music for a Netflix show called uh, Arth Doll Chronicles. And it's sort of like a, a Korean Game of Thrones, I guess, would be the easiest way to describe it. And uh, they just shot me an email and they, they said, hey, Greg, like we need like a ton of music for the show. You know, this is all the cues that we need. And um, I was just one of many composers on that. I think there was like 10 of us working on it because we, we just had to do it so fast. Um, and so that's sort of how it went down. And it's on Netflix now. Um, uh, if you, I think more episodes air here in, at the end of September. I think there's 12 episodes now. It's a, it was a giant... <clears throat> yeah, it, that's a little bit different than I usually normally work. You know, normally I watch the episode that I'm working on and, you know, I, I, I might be the only composer on the whole entire show. And then I can just hire an instrumentalist. Uh, this one's it's a little bit different working with a lot of composers because you sort of divvy up all the work and you don't always actually see what you're writing music to. It's more of just the conceptually what you're writing for. It's interesting. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And so when you do these commissioned pieces, they, they I assume they give you a budget so that you can hire these instrumentalists. Uh, talk about that process and the uh, business aspect of it, how you go about distributing that money out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's different for every show. Um, some shows, you know, there's just no budget for any instrumentalist. It's just me, uh, and but I mean, I have every sampler you could ever, ever want, I suppose. <laughs> so I can I can get it done. I can make something sound like a big orchestra, and just do it by myself. Um, it's not as good as using real musicians, obviously, but um, it does do the trick. Um, but if there is like some room in the budget, I can sort of set aside a certain amount that I want to spend and um, you know always first is the cello um, I don't know something about the cello just really works in a lot of different contexts and it's so easy to hire my friend uh, who's right down his name is he goes by Fez <laughs> um, so I have him come over and I mean he can literally walk over here so it's that's always the easiest you know and me and him have a deal of how we work that out um, but he, uh, we work well together and I can just record it here in the studio and I can pick the takes that I like and it's very easy. Um, if I need something else, like if I need like a string quartet, um, I usually tell the producers like this is what it would cost to hire four pieces, eight pieces, 12 pieces, so on. And <clears throat> they talk to the directors and the directors ask for, you know, the most that they can and the producers, you know, chip away at it and we maybe we meet in the middle um, I haven't done, I have a show that I do have a budget for a small orchestra and, but you have to be kind of smart with that. Cause if you do like, <clears throat> it's a eight episode series, um, and we can't hire the orchestra for every episode. So we just kind of, I wrote all the pieces 
the main pieces in the first episode and then we pick like hey we want this is a theme this is a theme and so i know at the end we're going to come back and record the orchestra um, so i can reuse it for the all the episodes that i write and i kind of just know like this is how it's going to go um i will have access to this audio and then i just supplement it as i see fit and just try to work it out the best i can without changing the tempo too much <laughs> it's very like a hybrid um way of going about it at least for the level of composer that I would say that I'm at. So your majority of time, you're working from home. You have a home studio, I assume? Correct. Okay, so talk about building that, the build out to it, how you created that, what your budget was for it. Did you take money from your from your composing work? Like, how did you fund all that? Just, I'm just curious uh, because, I mean, every composer would love to have a home studio, but I mean, is it realistic for every composer to have a home studio? You know what I mean? Uh, these days, I guess it's, it's becoming more and more, uh, feasible. Uh, but I would say when I started working with bands, um, I, my friend had a studio in Ontario, California, and he was just like, I, he had a regular day job and he was like, Hey, use it as much as you want. Just leave a cut for the studio. Uh, and that's sort of how like I got started. So I'd track there. And I'd, then I'd come home and I'd mix and edit as I saw fit. And so, you know, I started to buy, I bought my first Mac Pro, uh, quickly bought a second Mac Pro um, when it went from G5 to Intel and sort of just slowly started piecing together equipment and I would get more and more work. Every project led to like another piece of gear. Um, and then when I went full on composing, I sort of... Uh, switched my setup a little bit i had a lot of gear to record uh bands and that's not super super acclable acclable ah, can't talk it's not super like this it's not the same gear you know um so i started just picking out the pieces of gear that i needed to to feel more comfortable making that full-time switch you know because for a long time I, I really was uh producing and sound designing and programming for bands was my main uh, source of income and then it switched you know so uh i mean i was like 90 percent there you know um but then i started buying more more gear for composing i wouldn't say uh, i had like a budget um in mind i think it was just more over time i would just spend a little bit of money from each project to sort of get better stuff i think i think that's how a lot of people do it to be honest yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. You kind of build as you go just because it's more feasible um, like financially yeah. to do it that way, you know? I get it. You don't want to spend, you know, $15,000 building a studio all at once when you could do it in chunks and pieces. It's the same for me. I mean, with camera gear, you know, you buy like pieces at a time. You're not going to go out and spend 20 grand on a, you know, a whatever a kit of lenses when you could just buy one at a time. I totally get that. I would say, though, that it's good to, if you're going to buy gear, go ahead and buy the right gear uh, rather than getting the cheap stuff and then throwing away and then buying the right gear. Like, just wait a little bit longer, you know, and just go ahead and buy the, you know, whatever it is, like speakers, like get good speakers rather than like $100 speakers from your friends because invariably those will just break or they won't be working good enough for you to, to work well on them. I'm sure it's the same with cameras, right? You like you don't want to buy the cheapest lens possible. You want to get the good stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's totally the same. Um, you get what you pay for, and I mean, I you know I've gone. I'm a vocalist as well, so I've gone through my share of like 
you know, audio interfaces and things like that, trying to find the right ones, you know, and finally settled on one that I like and and that works consistently and you don't have any problems with. So, yeah, I think you're completely right. Definitely wait a little bit longer to get that gear that is going to be worthwhile, you know, that's going to pay off in the long run. Um, what was your what was your main job while you were trying to get your composition stuff rising and uh, growing you know what uh, I was very lucky as soon as I got out of college um, I joined a band and we got signed and we moved to Germany um, and we damn were... <laughs> what <laughs> yeah uh, we, you know it was it was awesome uh, I'm still in the band on being human we didn't get the success that we wanted because obviously the mu- music industry is terrible <laughs> uh, so we actually left Germany uh, after seven months with nothing um but um i what i did gain from there was a lot of knowledge and that on top of my degree i was already pretty comfortable recording and so right when i got back from germany that's sort of when my friend opened that studio and so i kind of just grinded i kept my overhead as low as humanly possible uh lots of you know top ramen and you know tuna sandwiches and living with tons of friends you know and uh I just never had a day job. I would just work as hard as I possibly could in this kind of contract field to get to where I was, you know? It took a long time. I don't think people realize, like, when they first start, how brutal that really is. Yeah, I think it's uh, similar in my industry, you know, like, when I was in school, my dad, I remember my dad asking my teachers when I was in film school, like, how long is it going to take for her for this to pay off basically. Cause my dad's a businessman. So he's all about like, yeah. how much is this going to cost me? You know what I mean? Like, so I also go into life with that mindset now. Like, uh, like, you know, I'm very like financially uh, focused, which, you know, is a good and bad thing. But, um, when it came to, you know, building a business, I moved out to Los Angeles because, you know, this is where everyone else came to make it. So I might as well go out there and try to do the same, you know? And, and, uh, I, my teachers told my dad, it's going to take three to five years for it to, 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 for you to build this as a business. And it's, that's the case, you know, it it actually has taken three to five years for me to build a business that is sustainable, you know? So I'm sure you, you went through the same kind of, um, you know, the same kind of shortcomings and, and I want to talk a little bit now about have you ever been screwed over on jobs? Have oh, you yeah. not been paid for jobs? <laughs> things like that. Talk a little bit about those experiences. That's something on this podcast I really like my guests to share because we've all been screwed over at oh, one time or yes. another. Uh, you know what? I kind of just um, figure once a year I'm probably going to get screwed on something. <laughs> you know? I was literally just thinking that recently. It's like once a year, it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and if it's like a little bit of money or it's what's whatever, it's like the the big ones that hurt, though. Um, I don't want to get into too many details about the who, but there was a, a like one of the, the first big ones that ever happened to me was on a video game. Um and the sort of the way that it worked was uh, the payment was in three parts uh, and each part was determined on the uh, publisher. So when the developer met, you know, like stage one, they get released a certain amount of money and stage two, uh, another set of money. Right. And then so everybody else down the line gets paid like that as well. Well, I got the gig and 
I mean, you know, I'll just, I, it was only like, it was like $5,000 at the time. And I think I was like 24. So at the time it was like a lot, Yo, of, that's a lot of money. It was a lot of money for me, you know? Um, so I was like, sweet, this is awesome. You know? And I had like, they wanted me to hire like a, a whole band basically. Cause it was like a, well, actually I don't want to say what kind of game it was cause, uh, but I had to hire people based musicians, you know? Um, and so I just got to work. I started writing all the music and I had an audio lead and he had a, a, a giant Excel sheet and these are all the cues and stuff. And basically what happened was I finished all the music before they hit stage two. So I got one third of my payment and then the developer got fired <laughs> by the, um, by the, the, or sorry, the, yeah, the developer got fired by the publisher. So, uh, they send me an email and they basically said, Hey, uh, your last two payments, they don't exist. So you can either take this small amount, you know, uh, and just that'll be that or go you can, fuck yourself. Basically, <laughs> It's like, or you can try to go after the money to, from the publisher. And it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not getting paid. <laughs> so I took the little bit of money. It was like an extra $200 or something like that. Uh, and what really hurt was another developer picked up the, the game. They finished it. It came out years, like two years later and I saw it in a Walmart and I grabbed it. It was, <clears throat> and I, I put it in, and I play it and it's all my music from top to bottom. They didn't change a thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> so it was, yeah, that one, that one hurt, you know? Wait, did they at least like credit you? Uh, yeah, if you go deep enough in the credits, you'll find my name, yeah. <laughs> wow. God, dude, that's crazy. So they went ahead with it, and they they could have, they basically owed you the money. Uh, yeah, you know, um, but it's, uh, someone once told me, like, if it's, if it's less than $25,000, like, it's not worth going to court for. And I mean, I guess I could have gone to small claims, uh, and you can get up to, like, what, $5,000 in small, claim, small claims, I think? But they weren't even in California, so it's like I would have had to travel to like go to small claims court. And I just like it was it was easier to just let it go. Um, and that's what a lot of people say. It's like if you can live with getting screwed over, that's better than trying to go to court for it, I suppose. And I, I maybe I shouldn't say that. Like that's a bad way of looking at it. But um, having attorneys involved. Like, it just seems like they win first and everybody else gets screwed. So <laughs> you're right. I mean, it's it's a business for them. You know, like this is that that's a business for them. I totally understand what you're saying. And like, I get it. It's happened to me before. You know, I got I got a um, I did a photo job for Hype Beast, but it wasn't actually Hype Beast. It was a company posing as Hype Beast and they mailed me a check and I cashed the check, deposited the check and sent it to the models and the modeling agency was in on the whole thing and they just took my money and there went $3,500 like immediately. It was bad. It was really bad. It was devastating. It was like back when I, it was a couple of years ago when I was still very small in the business. So it was like all the earnings I had made on that summer of working on Warp Tour, like ugh, it was so devastating, man. But yeah, like that shit happens to everybody, and I think it's super important that we talk about it. So, yeah, it it definitely is. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, sound design. 
Sound design is often seen as uh, creating sounds to lie to your ears. You know, you're you're not you're not always using sounds that are uh, authentically like ripping a piece of paper is not always ripping a piece of paper. So talk about sound design and what it is and how how that's created, how the world of sound design is. Oh, you know what? I should I should back up and say uh, when I say sound design, um, uh, I'm I'm talking actually in terms of doing it for bands. Um, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I don't uh, like what you're talking about is is sound design, right? But that's uh, for like film and stuff. I actually, don't get involved in that. Um, I just uh, it's sort of a separate set of skills, and I think it's better left to those guys. Like um, they will do it better than I will ever do it. So when I was saying, uh, I'm talking more in terms of like programming and sound design for bands. So I would do basically anything that wasn't a guitar based drummer or vocal on a record i was the one adding it um so adding all sorts of keyboards and ambience and soundscapes and um interludes you name it like just putting that all those like touches on on top of a mix and so i did that with some some pretty big bands yeah i see one okay rock is here on your uh on your roster of bands talk i love one okay rock i got to work with them when i was filming for alternative press i got to go like behind the scenes of one of their shows it was amazing uh, yeah, talk a little bit about working with One uh, OK Rock and some of the big bands that you've worked with and um, the kind of things you did on those records. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because like, uh, when One OK Rock first came out uh, to the States, they went to a bunch of different producers and they every producer got like two or three songs and uh, they're basically kind of trying to just meet new people out here and start working and nobody had knew who they were. So uh, Taka came to the studio I was at, and he was um, working with this producer named Arnold Lanny, who I was like kind of mentoring underneath. Uh, Arnold did like uh, Our Lady Peace, uh, Simple Plan, Finger Eleven, those kind of bands. So uh, Taka came, and he was talking about you know doing a song, and him and Arnold wrote uh, like a demo that day, and I came in and I sort of engineered it, and I remember Taka handed me like a DVD. He's like, yeah, this is my band because I hadn't, I didn't know who they were, you know. And I put it in, and I see them playing like this giant arena in Japan. I'm like, whoa, like who are you guys? So, yeah, a few months later, they they flew out and they stayed down here, uh, and they were recording the record. So I engineered uh, and sound designed on two of the songs on the, I think it's called what three five XXIV is the record. Um, I think it's three three five XXXV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. That one, the red one. Whatever. So, um, letters and numbers. <laughs> yeah, so I worked on two songs, and I guess the big one that I did was um, Heartache. And uh, that one actually had a, like a string quartet. And so I wrote all the string parts, uh, and we actually got those recorded um, uh, by a company called Fall of Eye Studio, or it was Fall of Eye Orchestra in Los Angeles. And so I think we had uh, 16 strings for that. And then I did like the piano and uh, all the other like sort of synths and stuff like that. And as well as engineering the record. And I think I sang like background vocals on it and stuff too, which was really intimidating. <laughs> Having to, I was singing next to Taka and I can't sing. Yeah, that's sing. crazy. Uh, they just needed more voices. <laughs> so I'm just standing there next to Taka trying to like make sure I like, oh, please don't hit this note flat, you know? <laughs> um, it was like a woe part or something. But, um, they were great. Um, I'm still friends to, with them to this day. Um, just really awesome guys uh, and uh, really, really good ping pong players. Uh, just totally destroyed me <laughs> on the table. <laughs> 
but I also um I worked with um uh let's see here Sleepwave, which was Spencer Chamberlain's side project um from uh Under Oath. And that was actually there's a lot of synth on the that record. Um and I, I did that with him and there was like two guys in the band basically, um and I sort of worked with them on that. And then I worked with Hardest, um, We Came as Romans, uh, Our Lady Peace, Courage My Love. Um, shoot, I'm, I know there's a bunch more, but I'm, I'm sort of blanking at the moment. Those are probably the big ones. So when it comes to doing records, are you, as a uh, sound designer, are you getting royalties? Are you getting any compensation on the back end from it? Or are you just getting paid an upfront fee for writing and, and doing the sound design yeah so in, in that regard i have to sort of stay out of the songwriting because they don't necessarily want another songwriter on a track so i have to work in context of knowing that i won't get any um uh songwriting credit like i get an upfront fee and so i work in that context knowing you know i can't really add anything that adds another sort of melodic element to the song does that make sense i have to sort of yeah, go totally. by what's there already you know but for um, sure for sure i am like categorized as like a a player on the song uh instrumentalist so if the song gets on tv or a movie there are royalties for that uh paid from uh sag aftra but that's a little bit few and far between so talk about sag a little bit um i totally forgot that you guys are totally a part of SAG. Uh, talk about that, getting into SAG, how that works, that process, and uh, what it's like to be a member. You know what? Honestly, I don't know a whole lot. Um, it was just one of those things where they like they just emailed me uh, because uh, a song that I did with Sleepwave got in, a, I think it was a TV show, and they just had to pay out for that. So I just signed up, and then I put all my songs in and they just send a check. I mean, that's literally all I know. Like, I don't really keep, I don't keep up to date on it. Uh, I probably, there's so many different revenue streams sometimes that I get lost. Uh, I don't spend my time like looking at, you know, there's, uh, obviously I have my CSAC account, which is like my main one for like stuff that I work on that I write or produce or co-write with other bands. Um, so that's a performance rights organization. Sort of, there's ASCAP and BMI are the big ones. CSAC's the third, um, and so they keep track of royalties for usually like radio play. Um, yeah, usually radio, and then like Sound Exchange does like Sirius. They do like satellite, and then there's like internet radio has its own category. Honestly, it, like I, there's probably money out there for me to to find, <laughs> but it's hard for me to even keep track. Like I do a really poor job of that, to be honest. Yeah, just for those people out there that are trying to like sign up for these things and and don't necessarily know what they are, that's why I asked like what is what is that kind of stuff. Yeah, CSAC is the is the main your performance rights organization is your main one. So that for songs that I write and produce and for TV, uh, all my cue sheets get delivered to that, and they're the ones paying out royalties. Um, from like yeah, radio or from TV play. Gotcha. So let's go into talking about samples. Like, what, where are you getting your sample packs from? What kind of, do you have anything that you would recommend for other composers to look into or consider purchasing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a pretty large library. I, um, Spitfire Audio is the big one for me right now. 
Uh, I have a lot of their stuff. Uh, it's a little bit pricey, but their stuff's pretty amazing as far as um, orchestral music is concerned. Um, and they, ha they have some more interesting packs too. They have like some synth stuff, but like mostly it's orchestral. Um, so I have everything, uh, their stuff, obviously I have everything, the standard ones like East West and uh, Native Instruments. I have everything from them. Uh, I really like Output. Um, their stuff's awesome and that's more like synth based stuff. Uh, but they have some really good sound sources and interesting ways to manipulate audio. Um, I'd say the, the thing that I would recommend to most uh, composers though is just building your own, just learning how to grab some weird instruments from like a an old music sh uh, shop and record it in a weird way and put it through a bunch of weird effects and share it. big community out there on especially on youtube of composers and they're doing these things and they're sharing their samples so you can go and even grab what other people are working on and it's really interesting to see like uh there's a the owner of spitfire audio has a, a youtube channel his name is christian henson and <clears throat> he'll have like a contest where he'll give like he sampled a rusty gate opening like it was just like in a field or something sick yeah and he just recorded the audio like on his like zoom and he put it up and he made a contest and whoever makes the cool sample out of this, you know, gets like a, a piece of gear and everyone, everyone went crazy and they made these amazing samples. I don't even know how they did some of these things. There were so many ways that they manipulated it. And so you can get stuff that was pads or synths or almost sounded like a piano or a bell and they put it all up for free. Uh, and you could just download all these different samples to see what people were doing. And um, I think that's the best way for a composer though to get sounds is you want to be unique and so if you make your own sounds like you only you have them rather than like if you have the native instruments pack uh you and a hundred thousand other people have that you know <laughs> what are some of the sounds that you've recorded that um maybe weren't instruments like other types of sounds that you may have gotten you know one that was interesting and it's an instrument, but I didn't use it in the way that it was supposed to be. Um, have you ever heard of like a, I think they're called thunder sticks. It's just like a can with a spring attached to it. I've never heard of that. It's, it was like, I think I bought it for like $5 in like a drum shop. So <laughs> it basically just has a string attached to it. Uh, and it's just a little cylinder and you spin it and it kind of makes like a weird thunder wave sound, right? Well, what I did was, um, in my studio, I, I just pulled, I put the spring, I tied it up, and then I pulled the, the string taut, the the spring, and I used it like a string. So, like, if you pulled it, you can get a pitch out of it. Um, so I pulled it tight, I mic'd it up, and then I started hitting it with, like, different drumsticks and different, I bowed it, you know, with, a, like, a cello bow. And then I recorded it into my computer, and then I ran it through an XFX processor, which is, like, a guitar amp with a bunch of effects 
and then I kind of pitched it. And so I made this really interesting, it was almost like the lowest bass you've ever heard, <laughs> you know, but it had this weird resonant frequency to it. And I used that as a, a theme for a character in a TV show. Every time they would come on, I would like hit this super low note that kind of rang through a guitar amp and it sounded like it had spring reverb on it. And that was what it was from. It was just this weird little $5 uh, thunderstick percussion instrument that I got that I grabbed. That's amazing. I love, I did a Foley class whenever I was in oh. film school. And we, so we had to recreate an entire scene from one of the uh, Jason Bourne movies. Oh, so wow. my group, my group picked the fight scene in the kitchen. And so mm. we had to recreate all these punching sounds. And like, so I love, you know, sound design. That's why I wanted to have, you know, I wanted to talk to a composer as well uh, to have your perspective on, you know, making unique audio for something. And so what, what is your favorite type of project to, to work on? Do you prefer doing games or do you prefer doing music? Do you, do you like movies the best? What's your favorite? Um, whew, what is my favorite? So right now I'm predominantly doing television. Uh, and every now and then I do commercial, but I would say I, I do miss playing. Uh, I do miss writing for games. Um, something about a game, like you can write a, a lot of music and you can have a little bit of time to unfold these themes. Um, in TV, I write a lot of music. Like one show I wrote like five hours of music, of original music for it. Um, and you know, you're reusing, you're reusing themes and stuff like that, but usually it's cut kind of tight. Whereas in a video game, you can have like four to 10 minutes to unfold a piece of music and really get to work out all the bugs and the interesting twists and turns in a piece of music, you know? And uh, sometimes the the settings of a video game just allow you to do interesting things that you couldn't do that with something that's based in in real life. If that makes sense, you know. You, you, if I if I did like a um, like an old school retro style beat 'em up, right? I can start using like chip tune and writing like really fun music that's like inspired by like early 90s super nintendo music but i can add in like orchestras and stuff like that just do stuff that's really off the wall um and sometimes like if i'm doing a sci-fi show like i kind of have to speak a little bit more narrowly in terms of instrumentation uh so i, I miss video games i did one like a couple years ago but i haven't done one in a while unfortunately any video game creators are out there listening to this podcast looking for a composer please hit up my boy he needs yeah he needs some please work here. He needs some work. <laughs> so when you do a tv show it's more of like it's almost like you're a series regular i assume like you kind of have it for the entire series if you like land the job yeah um i mean some shows work differently like like i said with the korean show arthur chronicles i was one of many um just because things happen so fast there's no way one person can do it um 
there's a show that I'm working on right now called The Pact, uh, and that's a sci-fi show it was shot in Romania and Bulgaria, and the post-production's being handled in Doha. Um, and then I do the music here at my house. Uh, and that one's <laughs> that one's awesome. That's that one's awesome because it's just me. Uh, I have a little bit of time where I can work out each episode, every theme. Um, I had the scripts way beforehand. They even shot like so. I was watching. I'm friends with some of the actors, and I was watching their feeds on Instagram, and you know, reading the scripts. And I had a little bit of time to play around, build sounds, build themes. Uh, and so those are like those ones are fun too because like I can really become a part of the the aesthetic that is the show i guess is the best way to describe it like a, yeah like a like another actor or another like a cinematographer would impart their uh their influence on the show you know yeah definitely so let's talk a little bit more about education talk about your schooling what what are some of the things that you learned in school that you brought out of school with you into your professional life and what are some things you learned outside of school you know that you learned as you went I would say, uh, you know, having my degree was that's sort of just the base layer that you start to operate on, you know, like I know how to read music and I knew like my, the music history and, um, I knew how to sort of operate with a large ensemble, like a, a choir or an orchestra. But after that, <clears throat> very quickly after I left college, I realized I didn't know, I didn't know anything. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of you graduate college and you kind of think to yourself like, oh, you know, I kind of got a feel for this. Like, I can get a job. Like, that was not the case. Uh, I remember going to Germany right after college. This was like six months after I graduated, and I think I played something for the producer, and he was like a sort of famous producer in Germany at the time. And just I played this. I was a guitar solo. And he just proceeded to rip me a new one for like 45 minutes about how awful it was and how he wouldn't work on the record <laughs> like if if I wanted that solo on there. And the whole time I'm just like, uh, I had my hands up like, no, I don't, it's, it's okay, like we'll delete it. <laughs> you know? The funny part is was like the, the bass player in the band is the one who wrote it. Like I was just playing his part. <laughs> but um, I just like, working with guys like that who had already been in the industry like 40 years um you just quickly realize like you don't know anything and that the degree doesn't really mean a whole lot um unfortunately i mean it, it meant a lot to me um to have that base layer of knowledge and i think that was a very good experience um but I, I don't think it's necessary i think i learned a lot more on youtube afterwards or in real life just working with other musicians like uh, Arnold Lanny, the producer I mentioned earlier, really, I learned more about songwriting from him than I ever learned from school. Yeah, I think that now that YouTube University, if you will, is a thing, I think that it's definitely changing the way, you know, high schoolers are looking at their future because they don't necessarily have to spend four years learning this base knowledge when they could literally just start getting the experience they need, you know? So I just wanted your, your kind of perspective on that because it is, I mean, it is changing and talk about a little bit about the internet and how, how it's helped you, you know, get your, get your jobs and expand your business. You know, um, I mean, the internet's been, uh, been like everything to me, I suppose. Um, I mean, going back, just 
edge, like knowing your craft as well as you possibly can, um, will give you more of an edge than anything. So still to this day, even though I work every day and I'm uh, writing music for shows, like uh, every time like Junkie XL or Christian Henson or whoever posts a new video, like I'm there, I'm watching it, I'm learning. Um, there, you can't, you really can't learn enough, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, it's really important to me to keep fresh and to learn what other people are doing. There's also just... There are some bad advice out there, of course, you know, because you have people who don't really know what they're doing making videos. Um, but there's enough good people uh, that you can you can really, like, I think, discern uh, right from wrong on there. But uh, going on top of that, just the Internet was the thing that allowed me to be able to have a career because I, I don't really work in the United States, to be honest. I, I did a short film called Monday uh, that was that did pretty well that was like on Amazon and HBO and stuff um but I'd say 99.9% of the music I write is for another country and so the internet allowed me to meet people that I wouldn't have normally and become friends with all these different companies and directors and other musicians and uh it's really weird how it just worked out you know the world's a big place and um you don't have to limit yourself, I suppose, to where you want to work. Have you ever gotten to travel for work for any of your composition stuff? Uh, yeah, I've been to I've been to Doha twice. Um, I'm gonna go back soon, actually. Um, that was a pretty amazing experience too. I got to go to the Tribeca Film Festival in Doha because I had four uh, four indie films that I worked on premiere in one year, and the production company was uh, Innovation Films was cool enough to fly me out and then I got to meet everybody and it's still the same people I'm working with today um and so uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited to go back it's been a little bit you know <laughs> I spend most of my time in my house just alone working um but yeah I, I mean I've been to uh obviously Germany like I said before and uh, that was more for a band but um yeah I'm not hoping to go to South Korea uh hopefully next year to sort of <clears throat> get acquainted with those that team of people that I work with work with as well have you considered uh selling your own samples or have you considered or do you have a YouTube channel do you do anything online as far as that kind of stuff goes as far as education goes uh no not I'm uh I'm definitely not the most patient person in the world uh and I don't think I, I don't think I was meant to do that particular type of thing you know um I mean, I have sometimes I have interns that come in and I, I try to like teach them in the way that I learned from the people that I sort of interned with, you know, um, and I've given lectures in my old my alma mater. But um, yeah, I don't do YouTube. I don't really sell my own samples. I think it'd be interesting. I was actually talking to Eric and Prada from the band uh, Fever 333. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. We kind of just grew up in the same scene. And I was actually thinking it'd be really cool to do a collaboration with him, making some cool samples that were a little bit off the wall, just because that's his style, you know? Uh, I think that'd be really interesting. But um, a lot of the samples, I <laughs> maybe I'm just uh, stingy, but I keep them for myself because I know no one else has them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I totally get you. Um, so 
my yeah i was gonna a- totally ask you about your anytime you've had a mentor uh so talk about your 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 time as an intern and uh some of your mentorship stories yeah i would say the biggest one was arnold lanny definitely for me um i worked under him for years um in a lot of different roles too you know sometimes it was just um engineering you know for a band that he had coming in to you know like partnering on like songs with him like actually co-writing with him to him working on my band um a lot of different we had a lot of different ways we collaborated you know and we still do um he doesn't live too far from me um that was the biggest one and me and him just get along really good uh and he's uh he's got a lot of experience it's interesting to just uh get his viewpoint on something that I write, you know, if I think it's really good and I show it to him and he's like, yeah, could be better. <laughs> you know, he's always like the, the one person who won't like, uh, he won't bullshit me, you know, <laughs> like he'll tell me the exact truth of, uh, how, some, how good something is, you know, talk about working on feature films. What is that process? Like it's different than a, than a, uh, you know, say 20 minute, 30 minute TV show. What's the, What's the process for working on a feature film? How do you digest working on something so big? Do you get the script or do you get the film? Like, what is that process like? Uh, yeah, actually, most of the shows I do are, are an hour, so it's not too terribly different. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot. We have longer TV shows these days. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm doing, like, sci-fis pre- yeah, yeah. predominantly, so it's a, lo- a little bit longer form. But um, feature films, are they're interesting, you know? In some ways, they're... Um, they're easier than a TV show because if I think about eight episodes of a TV show, that's eight hours. You know, that's like four movies. <laughs> so, like when I, usually I get a film, I get a rough cut, depending on how early I come in on the project, and I'll watch it and uh, just as a viewer, you know. And sometimes there'll be temp music on it, and I'll be able to watch it with the music that they're sort of thinking that they might want it to sound like. But even better is when I watch it without any music. Um, I much prefer that. And it's a strange experience to watch a movie without music. It's, it feels, it feels wrong (laughs) in in a lot of ways. (laughs) Because it is. Yeah. It's like a, it's like missing an actor or something like that. But I just try to watch it as a a fan, as an audience, you know, and just pick up on it. And I usually will watch it like four or five times before I ever uh, start writing any music for it, just to really get familiarized with it. And then I'll go through and I'll mark up. Uh, we'll do like a spotting session with a director, which is just um, me talking to the director about where he wants music and what kind of music that he wants. Um, that's usually why they put the, the temp music on there is just to give a feel for where they are thinking. And sometimes I'll collaborate with, I'll tell them like, you know, I think maybe this scene would be better without, or this scene would be better with, or maybe I want to try something completely different on a scene and, so once I have that process with the director and I really get inside of his head of what the character's emotions and the story is, um, then I'll bring it into logic, which is the format that I use the program. And I'll just start marking up my scenes and I'll go into premiere and I'll cut up everything that I want to score, you know, and, uh, have all the time codes and I start a giant Excel sheet. And, uh, so I have all my cues and my time code, my simpty time codes. And, um, I sort of just generally generally will come up with sounds um, before I start really writing. I'll just uh, kind of explore 
like a sound world, I, I would say. Like what I want the film to sound like. And maybe I come up with a theme and I share that even with the director before I even put it to, to picture and just sort of like slowly start to work my way through. Um, and the more time I have before they they're ready to, to cut to picture, the better, you know, because I can really explore uh, themes and that usually takes the longest, you know, once you once you have your themes, you can kind of you can kind of fill in the blanks quickly sometimes, you know. Uh, especially if you're doing it for like the th fifth time in the movie, you know, it's like you kind of know the motions <laughs> and you can kind of just do it more mechanically. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just being very organized in uh, knowing exactly what you need to do before you even start, you know, is the biggest thing for me. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just writing. It's just telling the story with the director and the cinematographer and the actor, just speaking in the same way that they're speaking but in your own craft you know amazing so there are different websites and different things out there like epidemic sound where i could go and just pick somebody's music that they've uploaded talk about going with something like that versus going with a an original composer because i would love to go with a composer for everything i work on but it's not always um convenient if you will but talk about the perks of going with an original composer okay yeah this is uh i gotta make sure i, I don't mess this up because <laughs> this is my job um so what you're gonna get with library music is sort of like the lowest common denominator of work you know um that's usually where people who uh were composers start off as so they maybe not have the necessary skills to break through and do it on their own yet so they just uh they write tons of music that sounds like something else and they put it up or it's where um maybe a cue goes to die <laughs> where a composer maybe i have like uh, a bunch of music that never made it into anything and i can kind of just put it off to the side and make a few extra dollars with it so what you what you're getting with library music is sort of the the worst <laughs> uh Maybe not the worst, not the best music, I would say, <laughs> if, to put it uh, politely, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was like those songs that were stuck in your head and you were like, I got to get this song out. And you're like, oh, it's never going to get anywhere. I'll just put it up here and, and make some money. Yeah, I get it. Continue. We all do it. We all do it. Um, not every cue that you write is a winner. So um, that's sort of like generally speaking, that's what that music is. And I mean, some guys do, they have a great career doing that. Um, uh, I don't necessarily find it super rewarding for me, um, but I definitely have some out there, you know, and I usually don't put my name on it, uh, to be honest, because um, I don't think it helps my brand as a composer. But uh, what I think you'll get from hiring a composer for your a, a, at least one that really cares uh, for your whatever if it's a short film or if it's uh, a, a video game or whatever it is uh, you're going to find someone who wants to work within your piece of art uh, cohesively and to become to write something that's original to it that adds to it that um, wants to make make your piece of media better um and so you'll get 
it won't sound like uh, disjointed from cue to cue. Um, it'll speak in a similar tone of voice throughout if that's what you're going for. It will um, work in context of your cut. Like if I write a piece of music to a cue to a, a scene, I won't just put up a piece of music that I've already written. Um, every cue comes from scratch, you know? I might reuse themes, but I'm going to go in there and I'm going to mark up uh, the film and I'm going to write the music exactly how it needs to be and fit perfectly uh, and just have a, a cohesiveness that I don't think you're ever going to find with library music. Um, and uh, yeah, just again, just adding another creative voice on top of your media that speaks just as pronounced as an actor or a director or a cinematographer, just someone who comes in to enhance uh, your your already your creative work. That was a great answer. Thank you. Now I I, I just I just want to hire you for all the shit that I do now. I'm just like take this, take this. I'm working on this video right now. I need sounds for it, please. <laughs> well, y- you got my contacts. <laughs> I totally do. So talk about uh, your, or first of all, do you do short form things? Do you do like, have you ever done any YouTube videos or any advertisements, commercials, or do you mostly do TV shows and films and games? Uh, I mean, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, I just did a commercial like a couple days ago uh, for like a pretty big uh, video game company. Uh I can't really talk about it. You know how it goes sometimes and, and not until it's out, you know, but I, I've done YouTube videos. Um, I've done, yeah, light shows on buildings. I've done features. If, if someone needs music, like I'm up for it. And the more interesting the, the, the media is, the more interested I, I am, you know, anything creative or uh, interesting, like that I, that I feel inspired by, I'll work on for sure. And what are your rates like? Where, like, do you charge per song, per hour? How does that go for people that are out there as young composers that are trying to figure out what they should charge? Like, what is your, how do you, how did you find your value? Yeah, so that's tough. Um, you know, I, I remember actually I sat down with another composer um, named Chad Sider. He's like, he's done, uh, he worked on like Fringe on Fox and, he does like the Pokemon uh, live concerts. He's a really amazing uh, composer. He does a lot of video game work. And I'm, I remember having the same conversation with him. I took him out to sushi. I'm like, dude, I got this feature film. They want to use me. Like, what do I charge? I don't know. Um, and he kind of just, he told me like, you kind of charge per minute of music that you write. So generally speaking, you know, if you know you're going to write like a, like a pretty intensive sci-fi, there's a lot of music you know it's an hour long say 80 percent of it will have music and then you can kind of come up with like oh i'm so i'm gonna write uh you know 48 minutes or whatever that is and i'm gonna charge this per minute and that's generally speaking kind of how you start um you have to you have to work with the people that you're working with sometimes they don't have that uh you know and you still take it <laughs> maybe they only have half what you want but uh, you know, you're not doing anything else, so might as well, right? <laughs> um, although you have to be careful with that because you don't want to devalue your brand too much. But um, that's like, you know, uh, you take the work that you can get. And then obviously if they want to hire live musicians or if you need an assistant, you kind of just add to that number. Um, 
and it's it's hard though you know like every project's different and everybody has different expectations um a lot of times i'll just ask the director or the producer uh like what's your budget like for music you know and uh see what can work out and i i tell them all the different things that i could provide them with that budget you know so i i try i try to be as flexible as possible and um yeah just work with people that i like working with so cool last question and we'll wrap this up what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started hmm so i mean a million things but um I would say don't be afraid to be bold. I think a lot of times when I started, I was too worried about copying the temp or sounding like someone else to take any serious risk in terms of writing a piece of music that sounded, um, that was creatively challenging and worked well with the picture. You know, I was, I was too safe in my writing. Um, I would say, and I really value creativity and hard work. And so I, I, I do like taking risk or, or scoring a scene against type. Like, don't be afraid to, to just tell the director, like, hey, I want to try something. Like, it's going to be off the wall, but just just follow me here. for Follow my thinking here for a second, you know? Um, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I did a, one piece of music, which I thought was, like, one of the best things that I had ever written for a short film. Uh, it was super unique and interesting and had a weird uh, instrumentation. And the director came back, was like, no, I was kind of thinking something more like this, you know, and it was something kind of bland, you know. Uh, but at least I tried, you know. Um, I think if I would have just went to the lowest common denominator first, I don't think that would have been as rewarding. Um, I think, yeah, trying to taking risks also kind of creates your brand and your sound and teaches you um to not be like everybody else. Cause uh, I mean, it's hard uh, anytime you work in any sort of media, like you, you just don't want to be uh, a sound alike or you don't want to be oh, like, like if you're directed, like you don't want to make bad Spielberg type movies, right? You want to make good, whatever your own type of movies. So I really, yeah, just taking, taking risks, I would say is something I do now. What are you working on now? What do you hope to work on in the future? Where can people find you if they want to hire you? Sure. Um, right now I'm working on um, a show called The Pact. <clears throat> like I said, I'm almost done with that. Uh, that was like a four-episode miniseries. Um, really cool stuff. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know where it's going to air. That's not that's above my pay grade. So <laughs> uh, it will come out eventually, and I, I guess I'll, sp- uh, I'll talk about it then, you know. Um, I have... Oof, I have like uh, like six shows lined up in the next year, so I can't really talk about them. But um, I'm working, I'm working hard. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll be posting about them on my website, uh, gregmjohnson.com, and that's where people can go to hire me. Um, I got to update my website, by the way. <laughs> you just that reminds me, or my, you know, I post a lot on Instagram, uh, Greg M Johnson Music, and I mean people have just dm'd me for projects too like anything works you know it's a new uh, new way of working awesome man thank you for coming on the podcast i appreciate you taking the time oh thank you for having me yeah definitely well i hope to uh hang out with you in person and maybe film one of your sessions one day it would be super cool 
Oh, definitely. I mean, we know so many of the same people, so. Yep. It is a big world, but it's big. It's getting it's smaller. It's very for small. Sure. Yeah. I think you actually <laughs> shot a music at my friend's uh, dairy farm. Yeah, I remember that dairy <laughs> yeah. farm quite well. It was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's small world. Well, that was an awesome episode. I loved putting in all of this audio and adding it to this episode and making it just more more unique and more of a unique episode for Project Freelance. Thank you, Greg, for supplying the music and the sounds for this episode. If you guys want to hire Greg, you can head to his website, which is gregorymjohnson.com. All the links to his website and his social media will be down in the description of this episode. If you enjoyed listening to it, please do me a favor and go down below this episode, whatever platform you're listening to this on, and give it a rating of five stars if you dug it. And if you would, leave some feedback so other people that are looking for podcasts to listen to come across your feedback and give this podcast a chance. Thank you again for listening to Project Freelance. My name is Kayan Agonio, and I will talk to you guys next week on the podcast. If you want to reach me, you can follow me on social media. All of my links will be down in the description. There's also a bunch of affiliate links down there if you guys are looking for things to help with, A, your adulting, things like tracking your mileage, tracking your expenses, helping you out with your taxes, things like that. These are very important adulting things. There's also a couple of photography contest websites. If you guys are into that kind of stuff, you can enter contests and win gear and money. Real prizes, great prizes. I've been on these photography contest sites for years, and I love being a part of these contests. It's so much fun. The community is great, and I've learned a lot from entering these contests and I've challenged myself and I've taught myself how to be bold like Greg was talking about in this episode. So if you guys want to check those out, links are in the description. If you need discounts on Adobe software, if you want to start editing your videos, your photos, your audio today, check out the Adobe Creative Suite. Links will be down in the description, all these things. Thank you guys for checking out this episode. Stay strong, keep enduring, go out and go create something this week. I'm proud of you guys. Be proud of yourself and Thank you again for listening to Project Freelance. I'll talk to you guys next week.